Would you pray with me? Father, that last song said how deep the Father's love for us, and that's what we want to contemplate today. God, we want to look to you and gain remembrance of how great you are, how, how wonderful is the gift of eternal life that you give us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we contemplate your love, that it would cause us to live differently, that you yourself would transform us and make us into the people you want us to be. So as we open your word now, Lord, would you give us understanding, and may the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are doing a sermon series through the little book of 1 John in the New Testament, just about five chapters long. We're going to do it in nine weeks, and this is week number four. So I hope that you've been reading it. That's been my homework assignment to all of you who've been here before, is read this book over and over. Again, I'm reading it on Saturdays, so we still have five more Saturdays in the sermon series. I hope you're reading it, and I hope that as you read it and reread it, God is pointing out things to you in this book. Things, whether it's a heart check, something that you need to be doing better, or whether it's just something that you can rejoice in. I hope that you are gaining those nuggets of wisdom even on your own. Because you, you don't need me to spoon feed it to you all week long. I, yeah, I come here and I, I teach. But you guys can, all of you who are, are filled with the Holy Spirit, can read God's Word and hear directly from Him. This book, 1 John, has a lot to say about how we should walk with God. It sets the bar high. It reminds me of a verse in another book. In 1 Peter 1.16, God says, Be holy because I am holy. John says very similar things throughout the book. And the, the bar is set so incredibly high. The standard is God's holiness. Who of us could reach that? Who of us can live up to that standard? Yet, we're going to read a passage today where John tells us not to keep on sinning. So should we expect perfection? If it's, if it's commanded here in the Bible, should we say, well then, I guess I should expect to be able to eradicate all sin from my life? Well, if we look at it from another perspective, John's already told us in chapter 1, verse 8, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. So he's saying, don't pretend that you don't have sin in your life, because if you do, you're deceiving yourself. So should we expect then that we will continue to sin? Which one is it? Should we expect that we'll continue to sin? Or like he's saying today, should we expect that we should be able to stop sinning? Or maybe that's not exactly what he's saying, but wh wh which one is it? Is there some amount of sin to which God will say, oh, okay, that's fine, just you know, hold it back a little bit. And is there another amount of sin to which he'll say, now that's it, now you've crossed the line. Or we could look at it another way. If we sin, will God condemn us? It says, no one who is born of God will keep on sinning. So is God going to condemn us the next time we sin? How much should we expect to be forgiven? How much should we expect to flee from sin? I want to look at all these questions, but I want to look at them today from a heart level. I don't just merely want to get out the ruler and, and you know, the grade on a curve or judge your actions. I want us to look at our hearts today. We're going to eventually talk about sin today, but I don't just want to look at our actions. I want to look at our hearts, and I want to look at what, what's going on in our hearts, in our relationship with God. 
And the answer to all these questions will have everything to do with how much we love and follow the Father. I want to use an illustration that I'm going to carry through this sermon today. I want you to picture a five-year-old girl starting off gymnastics. My wife lovingly reminded me that I've used baseball analogies the last couple weeks, so we'll go to the other end of the spectrum here and we'll go to gymnastics today. So I want you to picture a five-year-old girl and her parents have enrolled her in some sort of gymnastics academy. And she has a coach that will stay with her from you know, age five up until all the way she's done, you know, all the way until she retires at age 16 or whatever it is, whenever they retire. But, uh, now, as a five-year-old, you wouldn't expect this girl to do things perfectly. You set her on a balance beam, she's probably going to fall off. But as she becomes a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old, you would kind of expect that she'll start to get better. And the, the mistakes that she was making as a five- and a six-year-old, she won't be making as she's a 12-year-old. And to the trained eye, which is not my eye, but to the trained eye, you might even start to see this girl as she enters into competitions at age 12 and 13. And, and the trained eye might be able to say, oh, I bet she's coached by Coach Anderson or whoever it is. You might start to see the resemblance because of the coaching that she's received from that specific coach over all the years. <coughs> Similarly, for us, our actions should start to resemble the one we're following. We follow Jesus Christ. God wants to make us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. As we walk with him, we should resemble him more and more. We're going to address the issue of sin today, but we're going to come at it from a positive angle. Because God loves lost sinners, like all of us were at one point. And he wants to transform us, make us more and more into the likeness of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. As we continue to grow in our faith, we should become more and more like him. So what we're going to do today is we're going to analyze our heart and our actions. And the goal is that we will see how we're doing in our faith and we'll grow in our walk with God. We're going to read our passage today, 1 John 2, verses 28 through 3, verse 10. So we're starting at the end of chapter 2 and we'll go through 310. And I want you to notice the tender terms in here. Even as the Apostle John is writing this and he's going to talk about some difficult issues about sin, he says things in there like, Dear children, or my beloved ones. Verse 28, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. My first point today is behold the love of the Father. Behold the love of the Father. Eventually, John's going to talk about the difficult issue of sin in our lives. But first, he wants us to look at God's love. Verse 1 is actually a command in the original Greek. You could translate it this way. Behold what kind of love the Father has given to us. So it's actually a command. He's telling us to stop and look at God and to remember the great love. What kind of love is this? The word actually means, what country does that come from? Where does that great love of God come from? So before we deal with sin, we want to look at God and just ask that question, how much does God love us? So the format here is actually kind of like the format from last week. Remember last week, John started with some assurances for the, the readers. You're children of God. You've known the Father. And then he went on to a couple of warnings. And it's kind of the same way here. First we look at the love of God, then we'll deal with the issue of sin. So how much does God love us? Well, the obvious answer, and the one I want to focus on today, is to look at the cross. I've often said that I think that this world was made so that we will understand the love of God by looking at the cross. All things were created so that we look to the cross and see the love of God. According to verse 5, here it says, the one who had no sin came to take our sin. Oftentimes, as I'm standing here and I'm trying to explain what Jesus did, I'll kind of point to the cross and I'll say, Jesus took our sin upon himself. He paid that penalty that we could never pay. This is one of those passages, verse 5, where it says here, uh, you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. That wonderful transaction there, that God who had no sin, Jesus didn't need to die for his own sin. He, didn't, he wasn't righteously put to death. He did it for us. He took our sin. And so this is an important verse, one of the places we see the great love of Jesus in taking our sin. And then secondly, at the cross, because of what Jesus did for us, we who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, we who have given our lives to him, are adopted into the family of God. The famous theologian J.I. Packer says that adoption is perhaps one of the most important, if not the most important, word pictures in all of the New Testament. When you think about it, an adoption comes about because a a child is born into a situation where the parents either cannot or will not take care of the child. So in adoption, a a family who is able to take care of that child comes in and brings that child into the family, and the child becomes a full member, just like any other child. And that's what God has done for us. We are called His children. That is what we are. We were born into this world. And by our sin, we chose a path that would lead us away from God. But God rescued us, he adopted us, brought us into his family. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, okay, fine, I'll bring you into my family. He brings us into his family and then conforms us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. We belong to God, not to the world. And God loves us, not because we've earned it. In fact, God loved us even when we had our backs turned to him. That's the great love of God for us. So as we contemplate the love of God, we should be grateful for what he's done to rescue us, 
and to transform us. We should be grateful as we look ahead to eternity and think about what he has for us. And, and that's perhaps maybe one of the things you wouldn't expect as we're, we're contemplating God, God's love for us. One of the things that John says that we should contemplate is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. So I want you to think about that now in light of God's love. John's referring to that time when Jesus Christ will come again, as it says in Hebrews 9, to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. It's right on one hand to say that we have salvation now, but yet we also await the fullness of that salvation. And the fact is that Jesus is coming again, and that should lead us to remember the great love of God. As we look ahead, we know that God's going to continue to rescue us, that God has a home prepared for us, and he wants us to live with him forever. That should cause our hearts to rejoice. If we continue in Jesus, we know that when he comes again, as it says in verse 2, we shall be like him. I think that what John is saying here is, I want you to stop and meditate on that. That not just are you adopted into God's family, but when Jesus comes again, we will be like him. And I think, little old me, really, God, you're going to do that for me? For all your children, God? And I think we're just supposed to stop and say, thank you, God. Thank you for that great love for us. As we wait for the coming of Christ, we can have confidence. Four times in this little letter, John tells us that we can have confidence. Does that sound good? Anybody want confidence? The confidence that we have is the confidence that God, who never lies, and God, who is able to make good on all of his promises, will make us like Christ. You won't get that kind of confidence, though, if you pursue your own ways. You get that kind of confidence by remaining in Christ, like it says in verse 28. Now, dear children, continue in him. Remain in him. We gain that confidence as we walk in the light with him. So do you think about Jesus' coming? John mentions it twice in this passage. Do you think about eternity? We're supposed to. Uh, I don't think Sandy Conroy would mind me mentioning this. We were, uh, she invited me to uh, come to the hospital to talk to her mother who was dying. And obviously, uh, on someone's deathbed, you expect them to, to think about eternity. And we talked about eternity. But as I was talking with this dying woman about eternity, I just stopped and, and my, to myself thought, this is a wonderful promise for me. I'm so grateful that whenever my last day is here on earth that, that Jesus is going to take my hand. We're supposed to be thinking about eternity. It should actually change the way that we live now. Because if we're thinking about eternity, if we're keeping our eyes on Christ, it changes how we view the, the trifling things of today. It, it changes how maybe some things that we don't think are important are far more important than we've realized. So the more we focus on Christ and on eternity, I think the more confidence and the more strength we gain right now, we should be thinking about eternity and about the second coming of Christ. We should be ready for that day. Now we're talking about God's love what we should do is first and foremost understand that great love of God for us. And from there, we should return that love to him. As we behold his love, we should return that love to him. We should worship him, praise him, thank him. We should spend time basking in his presence. You know, I, I, I often tell you guys, you know, we should spend time in God's presence. We should be doing things like reading God's word daily. We should be praying. 
And I know that it can seem like a task, and I, and I know that it can feel that way in my life. But what I'm realizing is if I'm rejoicing in God, if I'm basking in His love, those things become a joy, not a burden. I open up God's Word and I realize the wonderful truth that He wants to sink deep down into my soul, and it actually brings joy. That's the sort of walk with God that He wants us to have. We gain confidence, we walk in the light, and we have great joy. And, and we'll be transformed as that happens. One of my favorite verses, and I, I know I say that a lot, but I really think this one would make my top ten. Again, somebody should you know, write these down every time I say that, so you can check me on this. But 2 Corinthians 3.18 We who with unveiled faces all reflect, or that word can also mean contemplate, the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. The idea is the more that we gaze at God and at his beauty, the more we are transformed into his likeness. It's a wonderful truth of God that he wants for us. And it's not just something that we await in eternity. It's something that God is at work doing in us right now. Sanctification and transformation. Now there's one other thing that John mentions that we should do if we love God before we move to our second point. In verse 3 he says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If we have the hope of heaven in us, we should purify ourselves. One of the tests of how much we love God will be seen in our actions. So that leads me to the second point here, which is this. Let us pursue righteousness. First we behold the love of God, and then second, let us pursue righteousness. If we say that we love God, it should show itself in our actions. Let me give you a couple of illustrations here. If I were to come up to you and say, I'm a gymnast, you, you could kind of look at me and be like, really? You don't look like a gymnast. I'm, no, I'm a gymnast. You could say to me, prove it. Here, I've got a high bar in my backyard. Go, jump up there and do your high bar thing. And, and I'd be like, okay, you got me. I'm not a gymnast. The proof would be in the fact that I can't do anything that a gymnast. I can maybe do a somersault, but that's about it. I am not a gymnast. Or, or if you come up to me and you say, boy, I really love coffee. I, I could say, oh, really, how much do you love coffee? And you could say, oh, I love it a lot. And I say, no, 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 don't, don't tell me how much you love coffee. Show me how much you love coffee. And then you, you could say, okay, okay, come here. And you, you open up your fridge and it's, I've got 13 different kinds of coffee in here. Seven different kinds of creamers. And come over here to my coffee bar and I've got coffee makers, all different kinds and varieties. I have coffee. All the, I love coffee. And I say, okay, okay, I believe you. You, you love coffee. Those aren't just idle words. John is giving us a test here. If we, we can say that we love God, and we should say that we love God. It's good to say that, but it should also be proven in our actions. So John has given us a test here having to do with our actions. Theologian David Jackman frames the test this way. He says, Do I keep on sinning, or is my life distinctively different? In verses 4 to 10, the language is really, really strong. It might be off-putting almost to you at first glance. Listen to some of these things. Verse 8 says, He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Verse 10, Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. And in verse 10, John uses harsh language calling people who fail this test children of the devil. I mentioned earlier that I think perhaps the theme verse of 1 John is chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Again, the bar is set so high. We're not supposed to sin. We're supposed to walk as Jesus did. 
And in our passage today, there's a stark contrast between those who do what is right and between those who sin. This is one of three passages in 1 John in which he tells us not to sin. So he's really serious about it. We can't just brush this off and say, oh, he doesn't mean that. We have to figure out exactly what it is that he means here. And as I said, the bar is set so high. It's the holiness of God. That's the standard. And who of us could ever reach up to that? Yet here's scripture telling us not to keep on sinning. On one hand, John told us that we shouldn't claim to be without sin because he says you're a liar, you deceive yourself if you say that. Yet on the other hand, he tells us not to sin. So which one is it? Well, here's the simple answer. The simple answer is that we should flee from sin and pursue righteousness. But I want to give you a little bit more than that. I, um, actually, let me use an illustration here first. Even an Olympic gymnast makes mistakes. Again, I'm not a, I don't have a trained eye for this, but as I was watching Olympic gymnasts, I would watch and say, wow, that looked really good. You know, flawless to me, 10. And then you'd wait for the judges' score, and they'd find like 1.2 points of deduction. I was like, where did they get that from? And, you know, their eyes are trained, and they're looking for the smallest little dip in a foot or you know, a little wobble in a landing, something like that. And they, get, they give out deductions. And I don't think I saw one gymnast the whole time go through without any deductions. But the idea is for a gymnast that if she's going through her routine and the judges or her coach tells her that she did something wrong, she goes back to the practice gym and practices and works on it. Now, the clear teaching in our passage today is that we should not keep on sinning. That gymnast who gets an imperfect score shouldn't just say, oh, that's, that's as good as I can do. I'm not going to work on it. No, they keep working on it. I want to give you three tips now. Uh, and these might be kind of theological in nature, but I think these are helpful tips in understanding what it is that John is saying when he tells us not to keep on sinning. The first tip is this, that the verbs about not sinning are in the present tense, implying ongoing in nature. If someone comes up to you and says, I go to high school, what they're probably saying is that they're enrolled in high school and that they regularly, Monday through Friday, week after week, month after month, they go to high school. There's an ongoing nature to it. So when it says in our passage here in verse 9, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning, it's talking about that repeated nature of sin, that we shouldn't continue to harbor sin in our lives. If we have it in our lives, we should flee from it instead of keep on doing it. We need to have a Christ-like attitude towards sin where we flee from it. We don't just let it stick around in our lives. So if we do sin, we should repent. And in that way, we do not keep on sinning. If we keep on repenting, then we're not continuing in sin. Now, it's a, a, a side note on this. I don't personally hold to the theology called sinless perfection. In fact, I think the more you look into it, there are actually very few people who actually hold this brand of sinless perfection that I'm talking about. There, there is a theology out there that some people say that we can completely eradicate sin in our lives right now, that we can get to the point where we will no longer sin here on earth in this body. Now, I don't hold to that because the teaching of 1 John as a whole, again, is that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And even if you might think that you've gotten to a point where you really don't sin anymore, you, you shouldn't say it because you're not the judge. God will be the judge of whether we're sinful or not. So I, I do not hold to this sinless perfection, but we must flee from sin. So that's my first point. It's this idea of not having this ongoing sin. When we see it, we should flee from it. Second point, we don't earn our salvation by doing what's right. 
We're not talking about how we come to Jesus here. It's not that Jesus says, clean yourself up first, stop sinning, and then maybe I'll adopt you as my child. That's not what we're saying here because salvation can only be received by faith. We can't work at it. It's only by faith. However, once we have received that salvation and have been adopted as God's child, then we should seek to flee from sin. So the works come after the faith. And then third, and this is just kind of an interesting one, it's kind of a helpful one as you look at the book of 1 John. Most theologians speculate that there was some sort of heresy creeping into the church to which John was writing. And and here's how most of them say the heresy goes. That there were people out there that were saying, God's spiritual, and, and we have a spirit, we also have this body, but the body doesn't matter because we're spiritual people. And what, what's important is that we connect with God on a spiritual level. So then if you think about it, it doesn't even really matter what we do with our bodies. So the false teaching, some people took this false teaching to mean, go ahead and do you know, those things you want to do with your body. Go see a prostitute, go eat all the food. It doesn't matter. As long as you've got that spiritual connection with God, you're doing okay. And what John is saying, he's combating that false teaching, he's saying, no. If you're claiming to be in Christ, you can't go on sinning. It matters what you do. And in that sense, what happens in our body is connected to what's going on in our souls. And that's why I'm saying that we need to analyze our actions because our actions will show us what's going on in our hearts. So the false teachers wanted to make this false separation between spirit and body. But what John is saying, no, 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 no. Look at what you're doing with your body and it will show you what's going on in your heart. Now, we might think, well, who's saying that? I've never heard someone say that. But think about that in the year 2012. This world tells us it's okay to sin. They say things like, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, just do whatever feels right. The deception is so prevalent around us. This idea that we are the judge of our own actions and that right and wrong is simply a matter of what we feel is right or wrong. That lie is so prevalent around us that we need to be really careful with it. We need to know that God is the judge and that the standard is His holiness. We must not let sin gain a foothold. We must not try to justify it saying, oh, everyone does it or mine's not so bad. One of the true marks of being a follower of Christ is that we would honor Him with what we do that we would do what is right. That's what is repeated here so often, that we would do what is right. Sin is lawlessness. That's what verse 4 says. It's rebellion against God. We must not be okay with it. So is there any sin in your life that you're just kind of hanging on to, that you're not really dealing with? Or is there any sin in your life where you say, oh, you know what, that is just so much a part of me that I will probably never get over that. We must not say things like that. Because sin is a cancer for our souls. And you know what, God can deal with it. If you're humble, if you confess it, if you take it before God, what does his word tell us? He'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, the goal is Christ-likeness. If we see that we're walking in the dark, what do we do? We confess our sins and we go into the light where God is and we have fellowship with Him. 
Now, positively speaking, the idea is that if we're walking in the light, that we'll bear fruit that's pleasing to God. If we're walking in the light, that we'll do what's right because we'll have that close connection with God. The Holy Spirit will be filling us and we'll do what's right. Yeah, we shouldn't expect that sinless perfection, but when we do sin, we just confess it right away and receive that forgiveness and cleansing that God gives. How do we do this? We need to be plugged into Jesus. Verse 28, again, it says, Dear children, continue in him. Remain in him. Similar language to John 15, where where John talks about, well, actually, it's Jesus who says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You must remain in me if you want to bear fruit. So that's the idea there. We keep that close connection to Jesus, walking in the light. We've been given the Holy Spirit to help us. And think about that one. The Holy Spirit, being God himself, hates sin. And we also know from the Bible that all of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord have also received the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit lives in us. And when we sin, then, the Holy Spirit's inside of us saying, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't have done that. He's convicting us of our sin. And you know what? That's actually, that's a good thing. It, it feels uncomfortable, and I think we've all felt that. We all have done things in our lives where maybe right away we go like, oh, yuck, I can't believe I just did that. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit in you convicting you of what's wrong. And it's actually a good thing. That uncomfortable feeling that we have when we sin is a good thing. It reminds us of what we shouldn't be doing. Yet, we can wrongly kind of toss that aside and say, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not right. That's just, you know, that's just my conscience telling me that. Or, no, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, we need to be humble. We need to listen to what he's saying and let him guide us into what's right. Because if we, if we just brush aside what the Holy Spirit says when he convicts us of our sin, it won't be long until we're walking in the darkness completely. So how deeply do you desire to walk with God? How deeply do you desire to do what's right in his eyes? If you want to be right with God, listen to the Holy Spirit as he convicts you. Ask God what needs to change. I I say this often here, but going before God and saying, God, show me if there's any sin in my life. Lead me in ways that will be pleasing to you. And then trust that God can and will lead you into what's right. So, allow me to to summarize some of John's teaching on sin here, as we're, we're still in point number two. No Christian is sinless, yet no Christian is to keep on sinning. We must not claim perfection, yet we must not accept mediocrity either. We shouldn't just say, oh, that's okay. Not a big deal. If we've been born of God, he will strengthen us. Verse 9 says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. God has given us all that we need to continue to follow him. Think about that. I think when it talks about God's seed remaining in us, he's talking about all the things that he's planted in us. Things like the Holy Spirit. Things like his word. And then as we think about all the other things that God gives us, like the church and one another, we, we know that God has given us all that we need to continue to walk with him in the light. And we just, we just need to draw from those resources. But we need to be honest about our sin. And, and maybe to do some soul searching here. Now again, we're looking at our actions, 
but we want to do soul searching. We want to look at our actions and see if they're pointing to anything in us that isn't right with God. Ultimately, we want to see what's going on in our hearts. Some of this harsh language in here, it says the devil and the children of the devil, they keep on sinning. They sin and, and they say, I have every right to do that. But we must be people who flee from sin and let God show you how to do that. Let's be people who constantly practice repentance when we sin. So it's like that gymnast. She goes and she does her routine and maybe she thinks that she nailed it, but the judges point out some deductions. And if she's in the right place, what she'll do is she'll say, okay, now I know that what I can work on. That's what we should be doing with God. We work on our sin. And we do that by remaining in Christ, by walking in the light with God, by listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, God will transform us. He'll make us new. He'll make us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Here's my big idea and my conclusion for today. We are to grow in love and righteousness. We're to grow in love and righteousness. We grow in love first by recognizing God's love, by beholding it, by contemplating it. And we bask in that love daily, even moment by moment. We, we recognize that love that God has for us. And then we grow in righteousness by allowing God to transform us, by allowing Him to point out what's wrong, by allowing Him to guide us through the process of repentance so we can walk with Him. Wayne Grudem, a famous theologian of our day, said, Much of the New Testament is taken up with instructing believers in various churches on how they should grow in likeness to Christ. So that's what John is doing here. He says, The end goal is likeness to Christ. That's why I'm talking about sin. That's why I'm talking about loving the Father. It's because I want you to become more like Christ. Another theologian said, likeness is the proof of the relationship. Again, that gymnast who's been working with the same coach for 11 years will bear the marks of her coach. It will be clear to the trained eye, oh yeah, she's been coached by that coach. I can tell because of what I'm watching her do. When we first came to Christ, we were saved. We were justified. We were adopted as children. We became brothers and sisters of Christ. Now in this short time before we enter into eternity with God, we are to be transformed. Eventually, in eternity, God's going to make us perfect. He's going to glorify us. But even now, God is bringing us through that process of sanctification to make us more like Christ. So for now, we keep our eyes on Christ. We receive His love and we return his love back to him. We flee from sin, and we pursue righteousness. A gymnast learns from her mistakes and listens to her coach. We also are to learn from our mistakes, learn from our sins, and we're to listen to God, keeping our eyes on him. And as we humbly let God guide us through that process, he transforms us to make us more like Christ. And I say praise the Lord for that. It can feel difficult. It can feel uncomfortable when God points things out in our lives. But praise the Lord. He's treating us as sons. He wants us to become more like Christ. And I say praise the Lord. So we are to grow in love and righteousness. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your plan. And thank you that you don't just simply leave us on our own to figure this out, but that you are with us every step of the way, that, 
you are in the light and you want us to walk with you in the light. That we become more like Christ as we follow you. Thank you that Jesus came to take away our sins that we can be made right with you, that we can have a relationship with you. And thank you that you fill us with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would be people who listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and that we repent of our sins and that we honor you by doing what's right. And God, as we do those things, may we continue to behold your love, to gaze on you, to bask in your love for us, and then to show that love to you and to those around us. God, would you cause us to grow in love and righteousness? Would you cause us to become more like Christ? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.